I thank God that he loves people, huh? More than anything. Let's bow our heads as we begin. Our kind Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for another opportunity to stand here before your people and to declare your truths. I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to fill me right now, to declare your words and not my own. I pray, Lord, for the hearers that their hearts and minds will be open to receive the things, Lord, that you have for them. And we just thank you, Lord, that you have died to save us and that you are coming again to take us home. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you thought that this was an interesting title for a sermon? <laughs> okay, well, let me give you a different question. How many of you believe that you are a messed up person? Okay, now look around at the ones that aren't raising their hands. Keep your hands up there. Look around at the ones that aren't raising their hands right now and just know that those are the ones you've got to look out for because they're in denial, okay? Okay? So uh, the truth of the matter is in this sinful world, we're all messed up, right? I had another title for this sermon, but I just didn't think it had quite the same appeal. I was going to call it the shaking of God's church or the shaking of God's people. But I thought, you know, dealing with messed up people... That sounds a little more down to earth. And it, it's true, there, there are things, you know, when, when you come to a church, you think, oh, we're going to come in and we're going to see all these perfect people. I, I can't tell you how many times as a, as a Bible worker or as a minister that I've heard people say that they were so disappointed when they came to church to see how the people were, you know? It's sad but true, but, you know, according to Scripture, we are a hospital for sinners, not some kind of ivory palace for the saints, right? Not, that's, it's just uh, not what it's all about. So when someone comes to the church who hasn't been around the church, they're bound to see things that make them go, hmm. Now I wanted to uh, open with reading for you a little something from one of Ellen White's books uh, called Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2. This is found on page 284. She says, Sins exist in the church that God hates, but they are scarcely touched for fear of making enemies. Opposition has arisen in the church to the plain testimony. In other words, just telling it straight, telling it just the way it is. Some will not bear it. They wish smooth things spoken unto them. And if the wrongs of individuals are touched, they complain of severity and sympathize with those in the wrong. As Ahab inquired of Elijah, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? They are ready to look with suspicion and doubt upon those who bear the plain testimony, and like Ahab, overlook the wrong which made it necessary for reproof and rebuke. Happens, huh? When the church depart from God, they despise the plain testimony and complain of severity and harshness. It is a sad evidence of the lukewarm state of the church. And that, that's the truth, is that the scriptures declare that there is a lukewarm condition, that there is wheat and tares mixed together. In other words, the good and the bad mixed together. You have the sheep and the goats. That's another terminology that's used in scripture. So we're all mixed up. Let me continue. She goes on and says, Just as long as God has a church, he will have those who will cry aloud and spare not, who will be his instruments 
to reprove selfishness and sins, and will not shun to declare the whole counsel of God, whether men will hear or forbear. That individuals would rise up against the plain testimony. It does not suit their natural feelings. They would choose to have smooth things spoken unto them and have peace cried in their ears. I have, or I view the church in a more dangerous condition than they ever have been. Experimental religion is known but by few. The shaking must soon take place to purify the church. Now that's where I got my original title. Because there's a shaking that's going on, but it's getting ready to happen in a way that it has not happened yet. Preachers should have no scruples to preach the truth as it is found in God's word. Let the truth cut. I have been shown that why ministers have not more success is they are afraid of hurting feelings, fearful of not being uh, courteous, and they lower the standard of truth and conceal, if possible, the peculiarity of our faith. I saw that God could not make such successful. The truth must be made pointed and the necessity of a decision urged. And as false shepherds are crying peace and are preaching smooth things, the servants of God must cry aloud and spare not and leave the result with God. Amen? In my life, I've been accused many times of not being politically correct. I'm not exactly fond of, of political correctness because I see so much of the time that it's like, you know, they're tiptoeing through the tulips, as it were. Uh, I don't know. I just am like, you know, let's get to work. I do believe that it is wise to say things with tact, but that doesn't mean that things should go unsaid. Let me read, to you, read you another passage. Uh, this is taken from uh, an article. It's from the Pacific Union Record, August the 14th of 1902. Okay? She said, Many who are condemned by men are vindicated by God. Many who are exalted by human judgment are by God pronounced wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Human judgment often errs. Often because of defective judgment, man condemns his brother. God looks at the heart. He reads the motives that prompt to action. See, we don't know people's motives. I've seen many a case where people were doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And being in the position I've been in, I've, I've been able to uh, know their real motives in certain circumstances, and it would shock you. Um, there is a work to be done among the churches of Seventh-day Adventists that has not yet been done. Ministering angels are waiting to see who will take up this work in the right spirit. See, it's a work to be done in the right spirit. You may ask, where must we change? What have we done? It is not my work to enter into details. Let all humble themselves before God, asking for grace and wisdom that they may see wherein they have violated his holy law. Unless his spirit enlightens them, they will never know, even though 
it is set before them by their brethren. You know, you hear the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. There's another saying that says, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. That's what she's saying here. And that's why going out and laboring with people, as sometimes you're told to do as a Bible worker, it doesn't work. I've learned that. Those who refuse to come into right relationship with God, who will not obey the rules of his government, cannot bear his sign. Did you catch that? It's all about being in a right relationship with God. That's what allows you to be obedient, so that then you can bear God's sign. <clears throat> no one need walk in darkness. No one need say, specify to me the precise wrongs of which I am guilty. To all who say this, I give the word of the Lord. Search prayerfully, and you will know. Let all who claim to be reformers be such in the fullest sense of the word. The Lord is merciful. He does not chastise his people because he hates them, but because he hates the sins that they are committing. If they will turn from their wrong ways and seek counsel from him, he will be spared a repetition of their chastisement. He waits long for his erring people to repent, that he may remove the rod from them and grant them his forgiveness and love, filling their hearts with his peace and joy. But those who in self-complacency uh, strengthen themselves in their own way must be left to suffer the consequences of their own wrong course. Cause will be followed by the sure result. She's extremely logical in the things she writes. It's, it's just profound. Now, in, in my study of the spirit of prophecy, I've found that she outlines points on which uh, the shaking will occur. Um, how do I say this? Those, those who will be shaken out of the church, okay? Now, this has to do with dealing with messed up people. I'll, I'll get to my point here in a minute. You see, it's God who deals with messed up people, right? That's his job. We're supposed to treat each other according to the fruits of the Spirit. Now, do you all know what the fruits of the Spirit are? If you turn to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it tells us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So that's what we are called to do in this world, to exhibit those kind of traits when we're dealing with people. The Bible tells us that there's only one judge, and that is God, and that we are not to be judges. Now let me read to you what Ellen White, or what I have written here, concerning what I found regarding Ellen White's comments regarding who's going to be shaken out of the church, okay, when the shaking comes. According to Ellen White, there are two extreme groups in, who, in, in whose influences 
uh, are especially having a de detrimental effect on the spiritual condition of the church today. They are the worldly-minded compromisers and the jealous fault-finding tale-bearers, you might say gossipers, who constantly accuse and condemn. Neither group has the spirit of Christ. Both point to the wrong they see in others as evidence that they themselves are right. Their constant spirit of warfare injures the church by causing disunity that keeps the Holy Spirit from being poured out on the church as it was in the days of Pentecost. Okay? So you have two groups. You have worldly-minded compromisers. And what any of you who have dealt with, with that kind of situation knows the first thing they're going to say is, well, so-and-so does this and that, and so I don't see how that's any better than this, right? It's not any better than what I do. Look at them. You know? As soon as you point out something that someone's doing in a liberal way, you might say, they're going to say, but, but, but we're better than they are. Look at what they do. Remember what the Bible says about comparing yourselves among yourselves? What does it say about a person like that? They are not, what? They're not wise, right? You're not wise if you compare yourselves among yourselves. So, <clears throat> that's, that's a natural tendency. You look at the others, though, the other side of the coin. You have jealous, fault-finding, tail, tail, she calls them tail-bearers which is another way of saying gossipers, um, you'll find that they're usually very, very conservative people. But they have no problem in just tongue-lashing people. Okay? They're both doing the same thing. Neither group has the, the Christ-like spirit. Both point to the wrong they see in others as evidence that they themselves are right. Okay? You, you've heard of knocking someone else down so that you can be higher. Actually, you're not any higher. You just knock somebody else down. You're still at the same spot you were. You get that? Okay. So, let me ask the question. If we think someone has messed up, should we whisper about it to another one, to someone else? examining or elaborating on their supposed errors or faults? What do you think? No, it's not the thing to do. It's kind of quiet out there. However, too often Satan succeeds in causing potentially strong Christians to end up displeasing God through the annoying practice of gossiping. People outside of the church see this characteristic when they come into the church, and what do you imagine they think? You know, if they were to see the fruits of the Spirit, they would have a different perspective, don't you think? Look at those again. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these, there is no law, right? But I ask you, where is the fruit of love shown in the spreading of gossip. Where is the love in it? Let me read to you what 
the Lord thinks about this whole concept of uh, tongue-lashing people. Take a look at uh, Psalm, Psalm 101. Let's turn to Psalm 101. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. Some of these words are a little easier without all the THs on the end in the New King James. Now this is Psalm 101, verses 4 and 5. It says, A perverse heart shall depart from me. This is the Lord talking. I will not know wickedness. So in other words, the Lord don't want to know about wickedness. Now, he knows everything, so he has to know about it. But he don't need you to remind him about it. You get that? He doesn't need us to remind him. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. All right? I think it says it pretty plain there. Let's take a look now back at um, our opening text, Psalm 15. Psalm 15, the whole chapter. All of five verses. In Psalm 15, it's a psalm of David. He says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? So who's going to be with the Lord in his holy sanctuary up in heaven? It says, who may dwell in your holy hill? That's Mount Zion, okay? That's the city of Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, in heaven. It looks like a mountain. That's why it's called a holy hill. He who walks uprightly. Okay, so this is who's going to be there. He who walks uprightly. In other words, you're doing the right thing. You're, you're walking. That's an action. You're, you're acting in a right way. And works righteousness. In other words, does stuff that results in good. And speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Okay, so you don't give way to bribes. He who does these things shall never be moved. So in other words, if you don't do all the things it says not to do, you're not going to be moved. But also, you want to do the things that it tells you to do, which are to walk uprightly, walk in, um, and have righteous, uh, righteousness in your works, and to speak the truth in your heart. So now, let's examine who's excluded here. Notice a backbiter, right? One who takes up a reproach against his neighbor. Cannot receive the approval or blessing of God. How many of you have known a minister who could have been involved in a greater way in evangelism, but was distracted or even discouraged by the need to settle some church conflict that was being pushed ahead by members who were themselves completely wrong in their argumentative and overbearing spirit. Anybody known anything like that? Boy, I must attend a different church. I don't know. Did you catch that? The minister could have been out doing evangelism. He could have been out there 
winning souls, but instead he's attending to certain people who have a burden to bear that they're placing on him and uh, trying to get things going their way. Of course, they'll say it's God's way, but then again, you know, if you think you're God, then it's kind of like, you know, your way too, you know. Um, th this is what ends up happening. They end up having an argumentative and overbearing spirit. I know I've seen it over and over again. I'm sure some of you have too, who were not willing to put up your hand. The devil has repeatedly, again and again, used this device of the tongue to hinder the work of God. From the perspective of the new truth seeker, someone who comes through the door of the church, how many times have they been turned off to the truth, never to return because the pastor was so busy putting out fires that he could not attend them? He couldn't answer their questions or even meet them. Or worse yet, they caught wind of some kind of controversy among the fellowship here. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about every church I've ever worked in, probably every church you've ever been in, right? You can find in the church unconsecrated, unconverted members who think more about pushing their own opinion, their own self-importance, than they do about the salvation of others. Of course, they'll say that they're standing up for truth. A lot of times, that's what you'll hear. But God is out to save people because he loves people more than anything. Look at Christ. Look at his example in the scriptures. Where do you see him going around trying to uh, put people down? You know, trying to whip people into shape. You know what I mean? It's interesting. They, they may claim a completely virtuous motive, but Satan works through them to stir up trouble that consumes the time and labor of the minister and souls are likely lost as a result. As long as church members continue to build up walls of division between one another, their hearts grow more obstinate and unreasonable. The minister's attempts to bring reason to the issue or issues are likely similar to, uh, let me give you a graphic, hammering on cold iron, okay? Virtually there's no impression made, right? Under such circumstances, who would wish to be in the minister's shoes? You ever imagine what they feel like? Okay. No matter what they do or why the minister says what he does, someone is bound to be displeased. And the division within the church is most likely going to just get worse. To make things even worse, if the minister appears to spend more time with members of a particular side of a division, those who see themselves as being on the other side are likely to become jealous, afraid that he will be persuaded against them. Okay? If the minister gives them some counsel, they will say, oh, well, so-and-so and so-and-so has been talking to him, and that's why he thinks like that. And his words will be completely ignored. With their hearts hardened in distrust and evil suspicion, 
the minister cannot get past their prejudice and jealousy. Sadly, ministers attempt to help such situation, their attempts to help such situations often only worsen them. I think it is better for ministers to just stay out of those kind of things altogether and take the opinion of, of Nehemiah when he, was, when he said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Okay? That was what Nehemiah said when he was building the walls of, of Jerusalem and they wanted to come to him with problems. He's like, I don't have time for that. I'm doing a great work here. Biblical study tells us that for any of us to allow individuals to tell us about the errors and faults of others displeases God. It is our job not to listen to gossip and to instead ask, have you followed the guidelines Jesus has given us in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20? Now, you all have probably heard of the... Uh, Council found there in Matthew 18, 15 to 20. You have to ask the question, and I, I'm in the same boat here. I'm preaching to myself as well. Have you gone to the person you feel is an error or done you wrong and told them or told him his faults just between the two of you? If he has refused to listen to you, have you taken the next step that the scripture tells us? in a tactful and prayerful way to take two or three with you to try to reason tenderly, humbly, and in a Christ-like way. You want to do it with all meekness. And it shouldn't be mistakable that your whole intent is that of lovingly seeking their salvation and your own to be at unity, to be in harmony with one another. You see? If our Almighty King orders for dealings, uh, if, if His orders for dealing with messed up people have been strictly followed and no sign of repentance is seen, according to Matthew 18, you take the next step. What is that next step? It says to tell it to the church and let appropriate actions be taken according to Scripture. Hmm, it may even be necessary for church membership to be revoked if there is no repentance. But first and foremost, it is our duty as Christians to ensure that these steps have been taken. If they have not, close our ears to hearing complaints. Do as God has told us refuse to take up a reproach against your neighbor if there were no one to listen to the gossip evil tongues would soon be silenced now as far as this business of taking to the church goes i want to share with you something that i found honestly just this morning when i woke up at five <laughs> there was a I guess the Lord wanted me to find this, so that's why I'm bringing it to you. It's from Bible Commentary, from SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 2, page 1038. It says, God has not given to any of his servants the work of punishing those 
who will not heed his warnings and reproofs. Okay, so God hasn't given you that job. When the Holy Spirit is abiding in the heart, it will lead the human agent to see his own defects of character, to pity the weakness of others, to forgive as he wishes to be forgiven. He will be pitiful, courteous, and Christ-like. Okay? So basically the concept is, according to, following, according to the Bible, as you follow Matthew 18, most likely you're going to come to some point of reconciliation before it ever gets to the point of going to the church as a whole. And that's the whole point. God is all about reconciling relationships. That's what it's all about. It's not about a headhunting trip, as I have seen in some churches I've been in. I was in one church where immediately, as soon as I left the church, it was a church where I was working as a Bible worker, as soon as I left the church, the very conservative branch of the church took it upon themselves to quickly eject six people that had come in during my term there. You know, people I'd been studying with. I couldn't believe it. I absolutely couldn't believe it. I get a phone call less than six months later telling me, oh, well, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, six people, they're gone. They got rid of them. I'm like, what? Talk about crazy, just crazy. But you, you will see in some places there are people who find themselves to be so holy that they think they can't stand the company of anybody else. I don't know, that's not what you see with Jesus and his disciples, right? Look at the ruffians he had carousing around with him, so to speak, going all over the countryside. Okay? Anyway, <clears throat> back to my point. This might sound like an aside, but you'll get my drift. Vegetarianism is an important physical health topic, right? You agree to that? Vegetarianism is a very important physical health topic in that it affects how we feel and thus how we think. If you feel bad, you're going to probably act bad. If you are hurting a lot, feeling poorly in your physical state, you're, you might just be crabby. You know, I know that I've had situations in the past where I ended up um, with a very, very bad headache, and it wasn't the time that I needed to be socializing with anyone, okay? At that point in time, I ended up having a couple teeth removed. I don't know if any of you have ever had a tooth that went bad, but it can give you one whale of a headache, <laughs> okay? So yes, physical, the physical thing can have an effect. So that's why vegetarianism is important, because if you feel good, you can be happy, you can be joyful, you can not be cranky, but I am more concerned about the church's spiritual health than I am about its physical health. Now, there is a connection there. The church's descent into cannibalism must end if we are to, are, if we, well, let me put it this way. The church's descent into cannibalism must end as we are too often in the habit of having one another for dinner. There. You see what I'm saying? Now, I want to read to you from, Jer uh, from the book of James, chapter 3. Let's take a look at 
James chapter 3, verse, we'll start in verse 7. 7 through 10. I'm sure you all have heard this. James, 7, or James 3, verses 7 through 10. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. Talk about a serpent, split tongue, right? Talking out of both sides of your mouth, that kind of thing. Okay, so it says, With it we bless our God, bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Okay? Today, God calls us to be a blessing by bearing good fruits. In John 15, verse 8, Christ tells us, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. We are all called to be his disciples, and we are to bear good fruit. May we now search our hearts as never before, and seek God through repentance and humiliation. For if we cherish either a worldly-mindedness or a distrustful, critical attitude, we will not survive the shaking that's coming ahead. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Our kind Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for loving messed up people. And I pray, Lord, that you will fill us with your Spirit, that we will treat people according to the gifts of the Spirit. For, Lord, we know that a good fountain cannot put out both salt water and fresh water, Lord. We know that you can't get both out of the same spring. And so, Lord, we pray that you will renew a right heart within us and cause us, Lord, to walk in your ways, that we can represent you in the way that we ought to so that your name can be glorified. We thank you, Lord, for the transformation that you have promised to work in our lives and to bring us into unity so that we can represent you to this world. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.